and uh, thankful to be able to be here with you this morning. Uh, as you uh, know and was mentioned already before, um, you know, Pastor Paul and Deborah are on sabbatical, and uh, so they are taking some uh, much needed and deserved time away to sort of refresh, recoup, and uh, recalibrate a little bit for uh, God's next season of ministry uh, for them here. So uh, they're not going anywhere. They'll be back. Uh, fear not. <laughs> um, we're just thankful that they have an opportunity for that. So uh, the elders also just wanted to communicate to you. There had been, uh, I think, some questions about it. Uh, that just so you're aware of this, in the two months that they're uh, going to be a little away on sabbatical, uh, they will continue to receive their regular, Paul, Pastor Paul will continue to see, receive his regular salary. Uh, but as you're also aware, uh, you know, the itinerary of things that they're doing, uh, they're going to be doing some traveling and uh, they have an opportunity to um, uh, go and see some missionaries and to visit with some different people. And so there are expenses that are kind of tied to the sabbatical. And so if you would like to give and uh, to be able to kind of reimburse that at the end of the sabbatical, uh, then uh, there's an opportunity to do that. If the Lord leads you to do that, uh, you can just sort of mark your gift uh, sabbatical and you can put it in an envelope or just mark it on a memo line or something. And anything that you give towards that uh, will be given to them as a gift, uh, a, hopefully a surprise. I don't know. They might watch this. We'll see. Uh, but, um, uh, but if you'd like to be able to give to that, uh, we'll, we'll do that over the course of the time here. So any of these weeks, if you want to drop it in, if you have any questions about that or questions about uh, the things uh, that they're going to be doing while they're on their sabbatical, uh, some of them are leisure, but some of them are ministry related. And uh, are related to them sort of uh, allowing God to build into them for what's next in ministry. And so if you'd like to be able to contribute to that, uh, we sure would welcome that and invite you to do so as the Lord leads you. Uh, and so if you have any questions, feel free to talk to any of us elders, and we'd be happy to share more with you about that. Amen? Amen. Well, in the meantime, uh, you got me here, but uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Uh, that it's not man that does the teaching, it's the Holy Spirit. And so let's just go to the Lord in prayer as we get into our time this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together to open your word. And God, just uh, to think a little bit about what it means uh, to grow in Christ, to grow spiritually. And so, uh, God, we do pray that you would just align our hearts with yours uh, God, that you would uh, just orient our ideas, our motivations, our attitudes, and our, uh, just our heart towards you, uh, not just in these moments, but in our days and in our weeks ahead. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you know, years ago, um, man, it's, it seems like a long time ago now, I was in college and uh, lived in a dorm, of course, with a few other suite mates. We had a suite that had four dorm rooms, and so there were eight of us guys uh, that lived together for a few years when we were in college. And I went to a Christian college, and, uh, and yet, as, as you can imagine, you know, there were kind of all types uh, at the college. And uh, many people were professed believers, 
Um, but many people were in different stages of their spiritual growth and, uh, and I would say just in the seriousness with which they kind of expressed their faith. Uh, but I remember one guy in particular and he was one of our, my sweet mates is what we call him. He wasn't my roommate, but he was in that group of eight and uh, he was there and he from day one made it very clear that he was not a believer and that he basically was atheistic in his in his thoughts about things, and uh, that he was there to play soccer. And that was really what it was all about for him. And uh, he was just a good guy. Uh, didn't agree with all of his decisions, of course, uh, but he was a good guy and, um, and just really grew to, to care about him as a friend. And so we, uh, myself and some of the other guys, would kind of look for opportunities to share the gospel and to just talk to him a little bit about faith uh, but he was pretty resistant. He would push back and didn't really want to talk about it for the most part and didn't really want to have much to do with it. And, and yet, we never really could kind of pinpoint why. It just seemed like he just was kind of close to it. Maybe you've met somebody who's like that. And uh, I remember one specific time uh, later in our time there in college that we were in the cafeteria and we were standing in line waiting uh, to get up to the counter so that we could get our food. And we were just being college students, and we were just kind of talking. And uh, I don't think we were being overly rowdy. Uh, we weren't throwing things around. We weren't, like, wrestling each other on the floor or anything like that. We were just kind of talking, moving around. But we were in a circle kind of talking. And, uh, and Mark was kind of towards the beginning, and this, that was m- my friend. And, um, and he... Uh, just kind of backed up, and he backed into this guy. And uh, this guy turns around, and he's just this this huge guy, and he was actually an older guy that was part of the seminary. Our campus had both an undergrad and graduate program on the campus there. And he turned around, and he was so mad. And he just, like I remember, he turned around, And he was like, you know, watch where you're going. You need to pay attention to what you're doing. And we were all like, whoa, like what happened? And just kind of bit Mark's head off. And we were like, oh, okay, you know, we were just kind of quiet after that. And we went through and got our food and went to go sit down. And I'll never forget this, that Mark came to the table and he sat down. And as he was sitting down, he said, and that is why I will never be a Christian. And I thought whoa, you know, what, what happened? Did I, did I miss something? And I actually had my roommate that was there, and he was like, what happened? And, uh, and he was like, no, I just, you guys talk about all this stuff about different things, and then that's what you get. And, um, you know, and it just was, you know, a little bit of a wake-up call in my own life. And it became sort of this, this moment in my life where uh, I realized the, the sort of the weight right, of not just what we say we believe, but the actions that back it up. And so here's the thing, for years, and I've told this story in different contexts before, for years I sort of would think back to the story and I thought about it in the context of, man, you know, like we have to be really careful that our behavior matches our belief system, right? That we represent Christ well, because when we act uh, out of accord, right, against what we say we believe in a way that's different, then we misrepresent Christ and we send a negative message 
to the world around us. Amen? And I, and I believe that that's true. But here's the other side to that that as time has gone on, I've kind of thought about is that there is this reality that in many ways and many different occasions, unfortunately, that I have been just like that seminary student. And that there is this condition, right, where we're imperfect and we struggle with different things. And so there is this deep need and value to be genuine and authentic in our faith. That when we talk to people, when we interact with people, that it isn't just a personification of we want to be good examples and good role models and we want to sort of put forward our best foot so that people see Christian character. But there's an authentic, authentic genuineness in our lives that allow us to also have conversation, real conversation with people and acknowledge that, you know what, sometimes I'm not perfect. And sometimes I'm doing and saying things that are not aligned with what God wants for me. And in those moments, right, there needs to be transparency, there needs to be an authentic response, and there needs to be a genuine confession and repentance that takes place. And I think that sometimes in our lives and in our world, right, that we're missing those components. That sometimes we're missing either we don't care that our actions don't always line up with what we say we believe and we just feel like we can act however we want, or we try so hard to present a picture that is so good and so perfect, right? Because we don't want to be labeled as hypocritical. And yet the reality is that we are. I am, that I am a hypocrite, that I say that I feel like, you know, God is love. And so we want to act and live and talk and act, you know, in, in love. But if you, you spend 30 seconds with my family, you'll realize that I don't always do that perfectly, Amen? This is the reality and the condition of our lives. And so what does it mean? What does it look like then for us? And that's what I want to talk about with you this morning. Uh, years ago, a few years back, Barna Research put out an article that talked about the misery of the schizophrenic Christian. And this is, this is what they said. They said, nine out of ten Christians in America today sincerely want to follow Christ but live the schizophrenic Christian life in their values, their money, their future, their relationships, their integrity, their moral purity. Their words and desires and intellectual belief system are over here and their lifestyle choices are over here. And there's a disconnect. And so this is why when we started talking about this idea of spirituality last week, we started talking about the importance of having a heart that is aligned. Because it's not just the things that we do. It's not just the behaviors that we engage in, but it is the condition of our heart. And there has to be alignment. And the alignment happens when we're desperate for Christ. And so we talked about that last week. And so this morning, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the crux of our series, really. And it's a fundamental question. It is, what is true spirituality? And that's what we're going to be looking at, giving and getting it all. In order to get all that God has for us out of the spiritual life, we have to be willing to give everything up, to give everything so that we can get everything. And so that's the question for us is, what is true spirituality? Is it just the things that we do, or is it the condition of the heart, or like we talked about, maybe it is both. 
Some people think about spirituality in a variety of different ways. Some people, the world kind of views spirituality as this idea that it's kind of searching for the true self, that you are a spiritual being, and if you just kind of look to the inner self and be true to yourself, then you're tapping into the spiritual. Some people think that spirituality is the religious activity, right? It's being part of a faith-based movement, if you will. It's a faith-based group. It doesn't really matter what you have faith in, but as long as you have faith, then you're spiritual. And even within Christianity, I think, that those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior, we think about spirituality in terms of involvement. Well, this is what I do. These are the things that I go to and participate in. And so I want to encourage us to kind of think a little bit beyond that. How do we move beyond religion and church programs, legalism, performance orientation, and compartmentalized lives? And how do we move beyond that to a grace-based, grace-filled, authentic relationship with Christ? And so this morning, I just want to share with you kind of three thoughts and, and kind of introduce a little bit where, a little bit deeper where we're going to be going in the coming weeks as we take a look uh, at, at Romans. And so let me just share a few of these thoughts with you, and we'll look at a couple of different passages. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles, we'll go ahead and start. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 3. So you can open your Bibles there, and I'm going to kind of have you jump around a little bit. I hope that doesn't bother you too much. Otherwise, I'll share the scripture verbally. But here's the first thing that we would say about spirituality, right? is that true spirituality begins with an accurate picture of God. It begins with an accurate picture of God. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? That God is supreme. Christ is supreme. He is overall and in control of all. And when we rightly view and rightly prioritize who Christ is in our life, it will rightly position who we are, right? That Christ is supreme and we are not. That Christ is perfect and that we are not. And when we get those things correct, then it really bleeds into the rest of our life. And it, it, it influences how we view God. And so maybe the question for us this morning is, how do you view God? When you think about who God is, how do you view him? Well, maybe you view him in one of these ways. Uh, maybe you think of God as an angry deity that you're afraid of and afraid of impending punishment. And so there's a list of rituals and those are the things that you do. And if you pray a certain amount of times every day, then you'll avoid the wrath of God. Maybe you think of God as a cosmic scorekeeper, right? Somebody who has a giant scoreboard or maybe like a big chalkboard, right? And he's making tallies, right? And you have a good deed and you have bad deed. And you chalk it up in the right category so that we will live as good people, right? So that we'll be good little boys and girls. And you have a list of these things that are performance orientation. And the problem is, is that then you're never really quite sure if you're doing enough, or maybe you see God in a third way. Maybe you view God as an impersonal force, not really a person. 
He's in everything. He's around everything. He's about everything. And so you just need to discover the right formula to be able to get in touch with this higher consciousness that is God. And there's a lot of different people, and I think, in our world that view God through the lens of one of these three or sort of one type of these three, right? We, we think this is how God is and this is how we operate. There's a lot of people in the world that live their lives operating as if God is one of these. He's an angry deity, he's a cosmic scorekeeper, or he's an impersonal force. And yet, what we see in Scripture is God is very different. If you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Notice the description here that the apostle John gives us about God. He says this, he says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The world, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I think it's interesting here in 1 John chapter 3 that he identifies God as being the Father. He is the Father and we as believers are the children of God. And so what we'd say is that a right picture, there's a lot of different ways we can view God, but a right picture of God is as a heavenly Father. If you're taking notes, I ended up flipping these. So I'm giving you B before A. I promise it'll just be this first point. Don't worry about it. Uh, but I decided to change the order. But see this in 1 John chapter 3, how great the love of the Father, that we should be called children of God. He is being depicted to us as a heavenly Father, right? Think about the difference between these things. He's not a cosmic scorekeeper. He's not an angry deity. He's not an impersonal force, but he is a heavenly Father. Think about the implications of that. The right picture of God is that we have a Father, He's not a deity to be feared in the face of punishment. He's not a cosmic scorekeeper. He's not an impersonal force. He is a personal, loving, kind, and just, and holy father who wants to love you and wants you to love him in turn and to learn how to respond to him and have a loving relationship with him. So those of you that are, that are parents, you'll, you'll know this, right? And when you think about, you know, the kids that you have, and when they're born, right, we have these dreams for our children, don't we? We have dreams that we hope that they'll grow up and aspire to. And one of the great things, in, and also kind of one of the more difficult things, right, is that our children can become and, and are really the source of the greatest joys of our lives on this planet. And yet at the same time, they can be a source of the deepest sorrows that you will ever experience. No one can hurt you like your kids because you care about them so deeply. You have a great relationship maybe with your wife or your husband, but the child is the product of the two of you. And man, you know, can they grieve you. They can do things and say things that can break your heart. And at the end of the day, you have desires for them. You have dreams for them. You want them to turn out a certain way. And one of the things I think is interesting is that it, it changes. It kind of evolves as they grow up. It, you know, at the beginning, maybe you want them to become, you know, like a doctor, or you want them to become an athlete, or you want them to become a teacher, or you want them to aspire to something that is really great. 
And then as they get older, you begin to realize that you care less and less about what they are doing vocationally and more and more about how they are doing as a person. You move from, I want them to be a doctor to, I just want them to be okay. I want them I want them to grow up. I, I want them to be moral people, to be people of character and integrity. I want them to have good relationships. And at the end of the day, it is character that is all you care about. And here's the point is that in the same way, we have a Heavenly Father. And he has desires and dreams for your life and mine. And you and I have this incredible power because God in his sovereignty has allowed us to be able to influence his emotion. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can do things that bring him great sorrow and we can do things that bring him great joy. And so God has a dream for all of his children. And God's dream for all of his children is to make us like his son. And this is seen all throughout scripture. Let, let me just share, you don't have to flip the these, but let me just share some scripture with you. Matthew chapter six, Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray. And he starts out in verse eight, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven. Isn't it interesting that the way that Jesus chooses to identify the relationship in this prayer that he's giving the disciples is our Father. It's this relationship that is being identified. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, behold, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're being transformed into His image. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. The goal, the desire, the dream that God has for you and I is that we would become more like Christ. His dream and desire is not that you would have perfect church attendance. His dream and desire for you is not that you would live the perfect life. But his dream and desire for you is that you would become more like Christ. And how does he do this? He uses every relationship, every circumstance, every difficulty, and every pain. Do you know that God doesn't waste anything? In your life, there's nothing that has happened to you that was by accident. It doesn't mean that God caused it, but it means that he allowed it for his glory and for his good. And he wants to use it in order to grow the relationship that he has with you. And he'll use all of it to, for your good to conform you to the image of his son. God's dream is to make you and I like his son Jesus. 
our character, our love, our kindness, our holiness, and our wholeness as people. He is Father. He is a Father who cares for you and about you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And that relationship comes through the very person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Think about what he said in John 14, 6, right? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's through the Son that we come to the Father. And it is becoming like the Son that we experience the fullness of the Father. And so true spirituality is built on this. It's built on an accurate picture of who God is. But let me give you a second one. True spirituality is also built on the principle of relationship. See, it's not about keeping all of the rules to gain God's favor, is it? It's not about doing religious activities to develop some self-produced righteousness. It's about submitting our lives to him. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter 22. This is uh, one of the principal verses that we're looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. And here's, here's what we would want to say, right? Is that sometimes it's easy to look at our spiritual lives as a checklist. And we think that if we can just sort of check all the right boxes, that somehow we will gain favor with God and that he'll be pleased with us. And sometimes we're just looking to do the bare minimum, right? And that's good enough. God's good enough. And I'm, I'm going to get in with this. And so I'm good. Some of us are just trying to be the best student in the class. And we're trying to check all the boxes all the time. And if we miss a box, we're going to try to hide it because we don't want anybody else to know that we missed a box. But it's, it's interesting to me that that's not how Jesus looked at these things spirituality is not a rule-keeping rubric. Here's all the things that we have to follow. They had that, right? The Pharisees had 614 commands that had to be followed. And they had hundreds more that were part of their oral tradition of the rabbis. And notice how Jesus viewed all those commands. They, you know, they were talking to him and they were like, well, what command is the greatest? What's the best? Of, like, basically, Jesus, what do you think of all these commands? And look at what he says in chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. It says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is super familiar. If you've been in church world for any amount of time, you've heard this passage probably many, many times. But take a second to pause and to think about the significance of what Jesus is saying here. Not just what it is that he's saying, but the context within, within how, where he's saying it, right? That of all of these commandments, right? That what God is really concerned about is our heart relationship with him and how that relationship pours out on the people around us, right? He could have gone through the Ten Commandments and prioritized them and ranked them. He could have gone through all these other commandments and said, well, these are the ones that are really, really important to me and close to my heart, but that's not what he does. He says, what I want is a loving relationship to exist between you and I. And out of that, Everything else will take care of itself. And you will be able to love 
the world the way that I desire it to be loved. It's the principle of relationship. Jesus' harshest words out of his mouth while he was here on earth were to the most religious people who kept all of the rules, who had more religious activities than you could count. Religion and legalism and activities that make us think that we're right with God, that we're better than other people, are actually one of the most lethal and deadly things that can ever happen to true spirituality. The minute that I begin to think that I am right with God, that God and I are like this because I do this and this and this and this, we have missed the boat. We've missed it. Because God is looking for heart alignment. He's looking for a hunger and a thirst and a desire that when we wake up in the morning, our desire is to seek and to pursue him. That when we move through our day, that we are seeking to honor and love him in our relationships and in our work. That as we enter into our evenings and go to bed, that we are filled with praise and thanksgiving for all that he's given us. It's not easy, but it's important. One last one here. Flip to Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. Again, these are familiar passages I know, and making you flip around. We're going to really sit in text moving forward. But I just want to sort of give you scope and sequence of what we're talking about here. Philippians chapter 3 is written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was probably the most religious person in his day for sure. And listen to what he says in chapter 3, beginning at uh, around verse 4. I'm not going to, you can kind of follow along. I'm going to kind of skip around a bit. But he says this, if anyone else thinks that he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, then he would say, I far more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of of the tribe of Benjamin, of the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, A Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He's faultless. Paul basically says, you are never going to meet anybody that is spiritually tighter and cleaner and cooler and more religious than me if keeping the rules and doing religious activities makes you walk with God. But he goes on, he says this, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Isn't that interesting? That all these good things, he considers loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and considered them to be rubbish. Literally, that means dung that I might gain Christ. Paul says it's about the relationship, to be found in him, having a righteousness that comes from God that is by faith. And he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul, Paul pours it out, right? He's, he's like, when it comes to doing all the right things and having all the activities, I've got it all. And yet it is nothing apart from Christ. 
He's saying, he's not saying these things have no value at all. He's just saying that apart from knowing Christ and having a personal relationship with him, that these things are void. They're useless. He actually goes on later and he says, not that I've already attained or I've already made it perfect. Notice his focus in his passion. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I consider myself not to have to take hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead, I reach forward to the upward call of God and Christ Jesus. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about knowing Christ. Paul said, if you want to be religious, you know, he's like, I I had it down. I did it all. But true spirituality begins first with an accurate picture of who God is. He understood the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And he knew that it was about a relationship. It's not just the things that we do. And really, the things that we do don't really matter unless we have the relationship built. And so what does that relationship look like then? Well, true spirituality then is simply this, right? Matthew tells us this. True spirituality is loving God and loving people 24-7 from the heart. That's what true spirituality is. Are we loving God and loving spirituality? And so here's the thing. If somebody comes up to you and says, you know, how are you doing? Are you growing spiritually? How's your spiritual life? the, The response, right, is not, well, yeah, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm involved with this and I'm participating in that and I was a big part of what's going on over here. It is, can we say that we are loving God and loving other people? And if we're doing those things, then we're growing spiritually. And so Paul gives us an example of this, I think, in Romans chapter 12. And, and that's really what, I, what I'm trying to sort of lead us into. If, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over. This will be the last one to Romans chapter 12. And here's kind of my encouragement for us is in the coming weeks, if, if you're looking for something uh, to just start reading through the book of Romans, or not the book of Romans, Romans, you can read the whole book if you want. But Romans chapter 12, and just maybe once a day, um, again, not to be legalistic about this, maybe once a week, whatever you can, whatever you can work in, but just to start to allow the, this chapter to kind of marinate in our lives and to consider this question, what is true spirituality? If it's an accurate picture of who God is, and, and if, it's, if, it's, you know, having, if it's built on this principle of relationship, then we need to allow that to immerse down into how we're loving God and how we're loving other people. And in Romans chapter 12, I think that Paul has given us a relational, grace-based pathway of true spirituality. Performance-driven faith produces you know, this kind of faith, basically. You, you try real hard, and then you fail. And then you try even harder, and you fail again. And so then you try harder and harder and harder. And then you just start to fake it. And when you take time to get to know a lot of other Christians and you really get to know them, then you realize that most of them are faking it as well. But God has a different way for us. He has a different path. 
And it is a relational pathway. And the relational pathway, it's a little bit redundant, right? But the relational pathway causes us to relate differently. It causes us to relate to God differently. It causes us to relate to other people differently. And it causes us to relate to the world differently. And and so this is is what we're saying, right? Is that it's not based on what we do, but how are we loving? So when we think about our relationship with God, it's not about all the things I'm doing, but where is my heart in my relationship with God? When it comes to my spouse and my family, it's not about all the things that I do, but how is my heart in terms of loving them? When it comes to my coworkers and the world around me, it's not about the things that I'm doing, but it's how am I loving them the way that Christ has called me to love them. It shifts it, right, from performance to a heart issue, a relational pathway. There's a pathway to experience the love of the Father out of relationship, where the life of Christ out of his grace is produced in and through you that causes us to think differently, to speak differently, to relate differently, to feel differently, and to ultimately have a greater impact on the kingdom of God. And Paul kind of really spells this out for us in kind of a unique way. He gives us five key relationships in Romans chapter 12. And so I'm just going to give you kind of an overview as we think through some of these things and wrap up our time this morning. And then, like I said, we want to dive into these things a little bit more moving forward. But there are five key relationships that show up in Romans chapter 12 that are impacted either appropriately or inappropriately based on whether or not we are holding an accurate view of who who God is as a heavenly father and if we are operating on the principle of a relationship where we are trying and committed not to doing things but to loving people and loving God as a response. And so let me just kind of give an overview of these. You don't have to write all these down but uh, we'll go through them. But these are five key relationships Uh, We have a relationship with God. It's this idea of surrendering to God, right? Romans 12, 1, in view of God's mercy, mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And, And we'll see this journey of surrender. There's the relationship with the world, that we are to live separate from the world's values. Romans 12, 2, talks about not being conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, There is, thirdly, the relationship with yourself, that that we need to be sober in our own self-assessment. Again, when we are rightly looking at who God is, then it will rightly place who we are because we begin to see ourselves in light of who Christ is and how Christ sees us. Romans 12, 3 says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Number four is the relationship with other believers. And that's this idea that we serve in love. Romans uh, 12, 9 talks about being devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above ourselves. And then lastly, we'll get a picture of our relationship with the world, with not the world system, but non-believers. And it's this idea of supernaturally responding to evil with good. Romans 12, 14 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so Paul walks through these five core relationships. 
And he says, if we want to be spiritually minded, if we want to be growing spiritually, then we're going to have an, a correct view of who God is and a right way to look and to love other people that will be reflected in these relationships. And so we're looking forward to that. Again, if you want to just kind of on your own time, maybe start reading through and looking at Romans chapter 12, then you'll get kind of a head start with where we're going to be in the next several weeks. But as I sort of bring this to a close, let me, let me just kind of share this idea, right? True spirituality is not a try-hard moral code. It's not, uh, you know, trying to live up to something. But it is a faith response to what God has already done for us. It's acknowledging who God is and what he means for each one of us. Right? And if, if you've trusted Christ as your personal savior, then you are a child of God. You have a heavenly father that loves you. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are in Christ. What God thinks of you today and how God views you from the things that happened this last week is not based on the circumstances of your life. It's based on the reality that you are his beloved child. And there's nothing that we can do or say that will change that. And so spirituality then is us responding to that. We respond here out of worship. And then we walk into our lives and we go to our jobs and we interact with our families and our neighbors. And we have this mindset that we have a good God that even though I screwed up last week, he loves me and he extends grace and mercy in my life. And that when I confess, he is faithful to, re, to forgive my sins and to justify the ungodliness. That's the goodness of God. And then my life can be lived out in freedom and in love. Because I'm not being held back by all the areas that I think that I'm failing or falling short or I'm just not doing enough or I'm just not doing a, a, a good job in these areas. And those things ultimately begin to hinder us. We see this really even in the context of Romans, right? We want to look at Romans chapter 12, but, but look at the broader context, right? Romans chapters 1 through 3 deals with sin, our problem that separates us from God. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are about the problem of mankind and the problem of sin. And sin literally means missing the mark or crossing or trespassing. It means that everyone needs a score of 100 to have a relationship with God. That even a 99 is failure. And all fall short of the glory of God. And that is the problem that separates man from God. And it's true of all people over all time. But then Romans chapter four, verse, chapters 4 and 5 talk about salvation. That God's solution in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died on the cross being fully man and fully God. He died in your place and in my place to save us from our sin. He atoned or covered for it. And it's a free gift. It cannot be worked for. It cannot be earned. By simple faith, we turn from our sin. And we believe that Christ's death on the cross paid for our sin. And we ask God the Father to make a real and appropriate, appropriated 
uh, redemption in our life, by a simple prayer, we can ask and receive his forgiveness. Romans chapter 6 through 8 then talk about sanctification, life after salvation, living your new life in God's power and growing progressively in Christ's likeness. And we see that through those, those chapters 6, 7, and 8. And then in Romans chapters 9 through 11, we see sovereignty, living in confidence because God is in control and he keeps all of his promises. And so what is Romans chapter 12? It is an, it is an act of thankful surrender to God. It's thankfulness. It's looking at all these things that God has done in our lives and it is responding out of gratitude. Romans chapter 12 is how we say thank you. How do we respond in grace to the Father and say, I love you. What do you want of me? You know what God says? He says, by my power, through my people, through my word, I want you to surrender all that you are and all that you have. I want you to get involved in a process of renewing your mind so that you are not conformed to this world And little by little, I can change your thinking so that you get my very best. Um, If you're on Facebook with my wife or I or at all, you've probably had an overdose of pictures of Matthew. (laughs) And we're not going to apologize for it. He's pretty awesome. Um, I... He's, he's, a, he's just a big blessing to our family. I've talked about him a lot. Um, I will probably continue to. Um, I'm, you know, just thankful for all of my kids and just the blessing that they are. Um, but there's this funny thing about Matthew. Occasionally, my wife will, like, post these videos of him. And he is just a bundle of energy. And he just doesn't stop moving unless he's sleeping, which is not enough. Um, <laughs> But he just moves all the time. And so I, I thought that this was kind of um, a good fit with some of the things that we're talking about. And it, it's not just him. I have a video of Cassidy flying a kite I could show you that would illustrate kind of the same point. Um, but here's the thing is he just moves constantly. He's moving his arms and he's kicking his legs. And he is just like this perpetual motion machine (laughs) and it's just it's just non-stop he just kicks all the time he squirms all the time I don't know what's going on all the time Um, but at the same time he is still very much just an infant he's still a baby he has not grown into maturity he still lacks in a lot of ways but he is very busy with what he does And here's the point, is that I think for some of us, we can be a little bit like Matthew, spiritually speaking. That we can be religious, perpetual motion machines. (laughs) I feel like it should be done soon. But that's, that's, that's kind of the point, right? Is that sometimes that's how we are religiously. Is we have a lot of activity. In, in terms of our spirituality, we're moving all the time. 
We do so much and we are constantly in motion. And yet, at the same time, we risk that we might still just be a spiritual baby. That we don't have the maturity that we should have or ought to have at this point in our lives. And so we do a lot of activity and yet we're still very much spiritual babies. And so here's my challenge for all of us this morning as we kind of think through some of these things and bring things to a close. Is I, I have a couple of questions. Would you like to receive all that the Heavenly Father has prepared for you? Would you like to have everything that God has at your disposal? Would you like to experience true spirituality? The love and freedom Christ has purchased for you. Love and freedom, that's what the Christian life is about. Not bumped up morality or duty or guilt. And here's the thing, right? Is that grace is free, but it's not cheap. The opposite of grace is merit, not effort. Paul says that we need to work out what God has worked, uh, worked in us. If you've become disengaged in your church experience, maybe you're just here and you're realizing that, you know what, I haven't been to church in a long time and, uh, you know, I'm, it's not really something that I'm interested in. Or maybe you're sitting here and you think, I come every, you know, every other week or so, but I'm not really in the game. Then this is a start for you. Maybe you're a new believer and you say, man, this you know, probably could save a lot of heartache by understanding correctly what it means to grow spiritually. Don't go down the path that a lot of the rest of us did. True spirituality, get clear on what it means. And if you're a mature believer and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I want to multiply my life. I want to invest in other people. And then hopefully this is an encouragement for you as well. And so where are you at this morning? Are you and I desperate? Are we hungry and thirsty for more of God? Can we align our hearts so that the relationship that God calls us to will flow out of who he is into all of the relationships that God has called us to be a part of? So let's pray together. Father, God, we just lift up this morning to you. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that you are our heavenly father. God, thank you that you love us unconditionally. God, thank you that you love us despite our ups and downs, the good and bad, the victories and the failures. God, that your relationship with us as a father is constant and dependable and unconditional. And God, sometimes it's so easy for us to feel so ashamed or just so just burnt out by trying to do all the things that we think are expected of us. And so God, we surrender those things to you. God, we want to realign our hearts. We acknowledge that it isn't about just being busy for you in activity, but it's having a heart that really loves and seeks after you and loves and seeks after others. And so God, would you just help each one of us to have an accurate picture of who you are, to see you in your rightful place as our heavenly father who desires good things for our lives. God, may we lean in to what your desires and your dreams are for our lives. 
And maybe that means that we need to set aside our own dreams and our own desires. And God, would you help us and give us the power and the strength to accomplish these things according to your will. God, may we love you even greater. May we love you even more. And may we love you even deeper in these coming days. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.